Well, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26. 926. And when you get to verse 26, go to the next sentence. Because I'm not going to read the first sentence of verse 26. I'm going to jump into the middle of verse 26. So today we're going to take a break from the brutal battlefield occupied by Joshua and the Israelites in our study of that book and turn our attention to Hebrews 9. And instead of capturing the promised land like Joshua is doing in our study. Today we want to capture something that may be elusive for you. I want us to capture that so-called Christmas spirit. When I recently preached through Hebrews and came to chapters 8 and 9, I didn't spend a lot of time looking at the details of those two chapters, but really preached it as a more of a big picture of what that uh, those, those couple of chapters and into 10 were saying. Uh, but I remembered that there was uh, this one passage that was perfect for the Christmas and Advent season. And that's the verse I want us to look at. These two and a half verses that celebrate the first coming of Christ and anticipate his second coming. So let us stand together if you're able to read God's word, Hebrews 9, 26 through 28. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word to us. You may be seated. Burnout is something that maybe you have experienced or maybe even now you are experiencing it in your life. Burnout is defined as a state of emotional, mental, and often physical exhaustion brought on by prolonged or repeated stress. It's a term that's borrowed from rocketry or rocket science, a rocket blasts off, it rises from the earth, and then it runs out of fuel eventually or burns out, and then it falls back down to the earth. There's no energy left, no energy source left, so it crashes, and maybe you're crashing today or maybe you've felt that way in the past. You may love your stressful job, but you find you you don't want to get up in the morning and go to work. You just have had enough. That's burnout. You need to refuel. Several of, you, several of you here in the congregation are caregivers for loved ones, and it is difficult, and you're exhausted. And you may be experiencing a lot of guilt when you don't feel like giving anymore, and you know you should. Well, that's, that's burnout. You need to take some time to refuel. The news and social media in our nation create a a lot of stress generally for people. You watch the news, I've quit, I've got burned out on it. The contentiousness that exists between a divided nation, it, it becomes wearisome after a while. It's exhausting, it's discouraging. Well, it's burnout. You need to refuel. 
And I could paint other scenarios that maybe you've experienced as well. And when I say you need to refuel, I, don't, I mean more than you just need to physically rest. Physical rest certainly is important. But that doesn't necessarily take care of the inner rest that you need. All the sleep in the world cannot give you inner rest in your mind and soul. You need a renewed sense of overall purpose and meaning. You need to come to Christ who said, come to me and I'll give you rest. Rest for your souls. Well, that's burnout. Well, some of you have moved past burnout all the way into depression, the full-blown depression. Uh, it's, uh, it's the other pandemic going on in our nation today, in our world. You're lonely, and you may feel like you no longer want to go on. Life doesn't seem worth living. Well, don't take that lightly, and no one should take that lightly. You need a renewed sense of meaning and, and purpose in your life. Talk to someone. Talk, you can talk to me. I talk to depressed people. I'm not a professional counselor, but I can certainly listen, and I can direct you to to counseling, to counselors. So depression is something that is prevalent in our world today. Well, there's another term. Maybe you're not depressed and maybe you're not burned out, but you sense that something just isn't quite right. And maybe it's this new term that has become popular since the pandemic, and it is the term languishing. Are you languishing? Languishing is not as serious as burnout or depression. Languishing is a sense of feeling stuck and empty about your life. When you're in this mental state, you may not see the point of things. It's hard to look forward to new or positive directions in your, in your life. You just feel blah. You're not necessarily feeling hopeless, just kind of blah about everything. Mediocre. You're languishing. You're not flourishing, which is the opposite of languishing. You need a renewed sense of purpose and meaning, just like the burnout folks, just like the depressed folks. We all need a sense of purpose and meaning in life. Now, I, I don't want to spend the whole time psychologizing today. Sometimes preachers do that, and, uh, and, and I've been warned not to do that. And the, and the, the preaching teachers that I respect but to stick to the gospel, and we're going to do that for sure. But these are real and common problems today, and I know that many of you struggle with these things, and I do too. Well, there's no better time or subject matter to give us a renewed sense of meaning and purpose as Advent and Christmas, for in it we are looking at the beginning and end of the gospel, the good news about Jesus who gives hope and purpose to us in this miserable world in which we live. Jesus came the first time to save us from sin and misery. And when he comes again, he's going to complete the task. The history of this universe in which we live is his story. It's all about him. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And every knee one day shall bow, whether willingly or unwillingly, to him. Now we all can rejoice in what Jesus accomplished in his first coming and anticipate what he's going to do when he returns. And that's really what I want to be doing today. Rejoicing in what Jesus did in his first coming 
and eagerly anticipating, as it says in our text, what Jesus will do when he returns. The fact of the matter is, Advent really should not just be celebrated in uh, late November, early December. It, it should be thought about, reflected upon, uh, held in your heart all year long. We should be like Ebenezer Scrooge after his transformation, not before. You don't want to be that. He made this vow after he encountered all the ghosts of Christmas. Hopefully you're familiar with that story from Charles Dickens. Scrooge said, and he made this vow, I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. I will live in the past, the present, and the future. And then at the end of the book, the narrator summed it up like this. Some people laughed to see the alteration in Scrooge, but he let them laugh and little heeded them, for he was wise enough to know that nothing ever happened on this globe for good at which some people did not have their fill of laughter in the outset. And it was always said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas well if any man alive possessed the knowledge. May that be truly said of us and all of us. Well, Scrooge kept Christmas in his heart all year long, and I would say, I would tweak it a little bit and say, we need to keep Christ in our hearts all year long. Well, this passage refers to the first advent and the second advent, and I just want to reflect upon what it says about each this morning in the next few minutes. Well, verse 26 tells us about the first advent of Christ. Uh, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. really does nicely sum up what the first coming of Christ was all about. But first, let's look at this, this phrase, he has appeared. Who has appeared? Well, Galatians 4.4 4 says, When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, the Son of God. 1 Peter 1.20 He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Before creation existed, he was foreknown. Now don't confuse that word foreknowledge with foresight. Some people do that when they read the scriptures. They translate foreknowledge as foresight. That gives you in trouble. But foreknowledge means known beforehand. Uh, personal knowledge, the word that is foreknown is more like the word that, that is used in the Hebrew, you know, Adam knew Eve and conceived a son. That's an intimate knowledge, obviously. Jesus existed before the foundation of the world. He was known before the foundation of the world. He is eternal, but he was made manifest. He revealed himself on earth in these last times. John 1.14, the word became flesh, as the children uh, rem reminded us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word, you know, when, when creation, uh, when God created everything, uh, the spirit was there hovering over the waters. God the Father was there and he spoke things into existence. The word, Jesus is the embodiment of God's word. He proceeds from the Father. 
And he is the agent of creation. And he became flesh. He appeared on earth. He was in the form of God, Paul says in Philippians 2. It doesn't mean that he was something other than God or like God. Whatever God was, he was. Because he is God. But he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, a thing to be held on to. But he emptied himself, not of his godhood, but of the glory of being God. And he became everything that a servant is. He took the form of a servant. He was born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He was glorious, and he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Thou who was rich beyond all splendor, all for our sakes, became as poor. So, Jesus is who we're talking about here. He became a man, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God. Now, why did he appear? Hebrews 2:14 says, Since we therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, the flesh and the blood. He, he became flesh and blood. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. He appeared to save sinners like you and me. 1 Timothy 1.15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Jesus came to us. The Son of God, the eternal Son of God, came to us. You don't have to get yourself from, from earth to heaven to be saved through your own works. No. Jesus came from heaven to earth to save us. He did the work. He came on the rescue mission. He came on this task of salvation that was before him. Why do you rejoice at Christmas? Is it because you get nice gifts? Is it because you get to spend time with family or get vacation from work for a few days? Are the, these are all good things, for sure. But are these the things that you're treasuring in your heart? The Scrooge kept Christmas in his heart, the, the joy of Christmas, the meaning of Christmas. Well, you and I should keep Christ in our hearts as the greatest treasure beyond all these other things. So that identifies the he in verse 26. Now let's get to the real meat and, and the purpose for uh, why the writer of Hebrews is making this statement. And that is the two phrases. Uh, he came, he appeared, once for all to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Once for all. Chapter 9 is showing the superiority of Christ over the Mosaic priesthood. The Mosaic priests... The Old Testament priests had to go into the Holy of Holies inside the temple once a year with the sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people. Year after year after year, they performed this task. By contrast, Christ has done it once for all. One sacrifice, not of a bull or a goat, but the sacrifice of himself, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of 
of the world. The angel told Joseph, as we read earlier, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's what he came to do. That's what he did. Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua. And that means Yahweh, which is the personal name of God, Yahweh saves. The Lord saves. Jesus came to save. And he he reiterates that in verse 28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, he bore their sins. So there's no more sacrifice for sin. You cannot make a sacrifice for sin on your own, though you may try. I need to make it up to God somehow. I need to to make amends for what I've done. I need to do some sort of penance. That's not how it works. Number one, your sacrifice would never be enough. It's not perfect. It's, It's not acceptable. Jesus was the perfect son of God. His sacrifice was perfect. He never sinned. Number two, your sacrifice or the sacrifice you need has already been sacrificed. There's no need for another one. The perfect sacrifice has already been made by Jesus. So once for all, that's really at the heart of what he's saying. Not like the priests who have to go in there year after year. Jesus did it once for all. That's why he came. That's why he was born in that manger. To make that one ultimate once for all sacrifice for sins. He put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. That word put away, it's one word in the Greek, and it means to annul or cancel. He annulled sin by the sacrifice of himself. One commentator says, into this one word is concentrated the infinite superiority of the work of Christ. The high priest, even on the Day of Atonement, could offer no sacrifice which could even put away sin. I mean, they had to keep doing it. It didn't actually put away sin. But Christ sacrificed was able to annul sin altogether. And we don't use that word annulment in our day and time uh, unless it's in the context of a marriage, getting in a marriage, getting your marriage annulled. Some people do that. And what, what you're doing is uh, you're getting a, some sort of proclamation that you're, that marriage never actually happened. It was never a real marriage. It no longer defines you, unlike divorce. You know, if you've been divorced, you've been divorced, and, you know, this is your second marriage. If you've had a, uh, an annulment, when you get married again, that's your first marriage. Because the first one, the actual first one, didn't actually happen because it's been annulled. And that's what Jesus has done. Jesus has annulled sin, your sin. It is gone. It no longer defines you at all. You are free from that. And that's what Jesus did when he came. He annulled sin by the sacrifice of himself. You can also translate this word cancel. That's a great word in our day. We love to cancel things, cancel people. The cancel culture. You know, you've uh, <clears throat> some of these people say something that's not politically correct or even offensive, and then they are treated from then on as if they don't even exist. That, that they're 
they don't matter anymore. If they were a public figure, they are no longer listened to at all. No one cares or wants to hear from them again. They are gone for all intents and purposes. That's the cancel culture. It's as if they don't exist anymore. That's what Jesus did to our sin. He canceled it. It, It's gone as far as the east is from the west. Gone forever. Sin is vanquished or set at naught when Jesus suffered for our sin on the cross. And it was his own blood, not the blood of bulls and goats like the high priest offered. You know, the manger is great. Celebrating Christmas is obviously great. The incarnation that Christ took on flesh is great. But it cannot be, and it was not then, cannot be separated from the cross. You'll notice that every time Jesus' birth is announced to someone, the angel talks about the purpose Jesus had. Call him Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. Told the shepherds, go to Bethlehem and see. You know, there's a, a Savior is born today in Bethlehem. To Mary, to Simeon, all of them. There's reference made to the purpose of why this one is being born. To be the Savior. And it says here that he's going to annul, cancel sin by the sacrifice himself. But he also mentions this time, at the end of the ages. So once Jesus came the first time, we entered the last days. You know, the New Testament talks repeatedly about the last days. Now, we tend to think of the last days, you know, when we read something like that, our mind goes to the end of time, to, you know, uh, the book of Revelation. That's the last days. That's the wrong way to look at it. The last days started with the first advent of Jesus Christ. We entered the last days. We entered the end of the ages. Jesus came, the incarnation, took on human flesh. He lived. He was crucified as a sacrifice for sin. He rose from the the grave, vindicated in his righteousness and his obedience. And then he ascended to heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Father and he intercedes for us. And there's only one thing left to happen, and that is for him to come back again. That's it. We're in the end of the ages. We're we're in the last days, and Jesus could come back at any moment. So at Christmas, think about the whole package of salvation, not just the birth, but why was he born? What was the mission? And where is all this going? Purpose and meaning to the world right there at Christmas. Hope for eternity in Christ is what Christmas is all about. Hope in your burnout. Hope in your depression. Hope in your languishing. Well, that brings us to the second advent, verses 27 and 28. Briefly. Just as it appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So he mentions that everyone dies. Jesus himself died. So the idea of reincarnation 
or the belief that we're just food for worms and when we die it's all over, we cease to exist and there's nothing after that. Those things are thrown out the window with this verse. So what usually happens for us or what always happens for human beings is that we will die and then there's going to be a judgment day. In the same way Christ himself died after he offered himself to bear the sins of many. And he's going to come back a second time not to deal with sin because he's already done that. Sin has been dealt with. It has been conquered. Death too, when he was raised from the, from the dead. And so he's going to come again to save those who eagerly wait for him. He's going to complete their salvation. He's going to finish it. It's been begun, but it's a, it's a two-part deal. We haven't yet been completely perfected. We've been declared righteous, justified. We've been, we're being sanctified, but our sanctification, our holiness will be complete, and we will no longer be under the power of sin. Well, we're not under the power of sin now if you're a believer, but we'll be no longer in the presence of sin. There will be no more sin. We won't have to deal with sin or its consequences anymore. We'll be free once Jesus returns. If Jesus canceled your sin, he's canceled your judgment as well. Isn't that good news? The Gospel Transformation Bible says this, Human beings desperately need Christ's saving accomplishment because it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. Ever since Adam's fall, by divine appointment, death awaits human beings. And beyond that, there is eternal judgment. But Christ cancels for his people the inevitability of judgment following death. Although he too died at his return, he will bring final salvation, not judgment for believers. The reason? Christ's death, unlike that of all the others, was redemptive. He died to bear sins. So Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. John Owen, in his commentary from the 1600s, said this, Christ's appearance for the second time, his return from heaven, completes the salvation of the church and is the great fundamental principle of our faith and hope Faith in the second coming of Christ is sufficient support for the souls of believers in their difficulties and trials. All true believers wait with expectation for the coming of Christ. And this is one of the distinguishing characteristics of sincere believers. At Christ's second appearance, all sin will be dealt with. Are you eagerly awaiting the return of Christ? Do you have Christ at the center of your heart? Are you treasuring him and anticipating him? You know, I think about the baby about to be born in the next uh, 24, 48 hours. I mean, we're all anticipating this. I know y'all are anticipating it more than anybody. Uh, you know it's coming and you're, we're all excited and we can't wait for that joy. And, and some moms probably, uh, well, certainly... Uh, eagerly waiting for it more than the rest of us for different reasons. But anticipation lifts the heart, something to look forward to, something, something to, uh, to have hope in. Uh, like a child 
on Christmas Eve, can't wait to wake up in the morning and gets up at midnight and sneaks in to see just what is there under the tree in anticipation. Do we have that same kind of anticipation for the coming of Christ and the completion of our salvation? That's what this world is all about. If we're, if we're burned out and depressed and languishing, look to Jesus and His work and the purpose of this earth and what's going to happen. And let that flood your soul with the joy of Christmas and the joy of salvation. Again, the Gospel Transformation Bible says, salvation is bigger and greater than many imagine. It's just hard for us to get that sometimes as we're bogged down in this world. The Savior's death and resurrection not only suffice for past sins, they also save us now and until the second coming. Jesus will appear a second time to save those who anticipate his return. The gospel truth, or this gospel truth, should infuse us with tremendous hope. Regardless of our successes and failures and our accomplishments or lack of them, if we know Jesus is Savior and Lord, he will surely come back for us, bringing the final installment of our great salvation. This is God's grand impetus for Christian living to tell us over and over that the Son of God loved us and gave himself for us. What else can believing hearts do except love him in return and gladly obey him? Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this good news. And Lord, may it sink into our hearts and come out of our bodies with joy and love and obedience to you. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would be treasured in our hearts above all things. And Lord, we pray for those who are weary and exhausted and burned out and depressed and languishing and hurting. And Lord, we pray that this good news would be a balm for their souls. Give us rest for our souls. Rest in you that it's going to be okay. It's going to be better than okay. It's going to be beyond our imagination. And so, Lord, fill us with anticipation and let that fuel our service and love to you and to others. And, Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't know that joy, I pray that they would just call upon you. You said, your word says, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, Lord, we call upon you today and pray that you would grant us repentance from sin and a trust and faith in Christ and his great work for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.